Welcome, Cow Horse. Full contact by Ben Self with host Chris Dawson and Russell Dilday. Cow Horse Full Contact is a view into the industry from our eyes. Seeing some of the people that we've seen and grown up with and getting to hear some of the stories we've loved our whole cow horse lives and would like to share with you. And along the way, we might come up with a little bit of information that helps you on your journey in the cow horse. All right, Russell Dilday. Yes, sir. You shock me every day. You shock me every day. Oh. Not easy to do. Right? I've right? seen some of your stuff. <laughs> the guy that made me want to be good at going down the fence, Russell Dilday. This is my hero right here. This is such a such an opportunity. And I'm sitting here with Ron Rawls notes in front of me. This is terrible. Turn that over. I'm not that That's old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, uh, super excited about this conversation. Just want to really dive in and learn more about you and learn where you came from and how you got to be this fine specimen that we see sitting before us. <laughs> Just bad luck. Bad luck. <laughs> bad luck. Well, uh, let's go early days. Let's start, start at the beginning. Well, I started out just ranching my whole life. Where was this at? In California. Uh, started out in Raymond, California. was well, actually in Oak Flat. Oak Flat was the west side of the valley in California. When I was really young, had seven wire gates to get through to get to our house. You know, just loved cowboying, loved ranching. My dad and um, his family went broke in Oklahoma in the Depression, moved out there to pick fruit. Just went up and down the valley picking fruit to make a living. Got a Grapes house. Grapes of wrath. Yep, yep, that's where they were. The story is that my grandmother got pregnant with him, didn't want him to be born a pruny. Went back to Oklahoma and had him. He was the last kid. Which, at that day and time, if that story is true, and they all hold to it, that wasn't an easy trip, just to have a kid. And then go back out there. He was the youngest of four. And then him and my uncle were probably my biggest influences young. Not in the horse training or showing at all in my life. My dad had worked for Greg some when he was young. And he brought some of that style, I guess. But it was never really talked about. Uh, we just roped. And ranched. Um, but what they did teach me is how to get by a bad horse. Two days in a round pen, and you could go to work on anything. They didn't start two-year-olds, so it was three- and four-year-olds. It was a little rougher right. life. <laughs> a little rough. <laughs> but I got a lot from them. It made it to where I wasn't ever afraid of a horse. Didn't matter how bad they were. It didn't really offend me uh, as far as bucking and you know, little stuff like that, running off and things, especially in an arena when there's nothing to run into but a fence. <laughs> right. And you can see it coming, no squirrel <laughs> holes or nothing. So then I was uh, roped a lot. Greg and Dad and my uncle were friends, and Greg would come to the come to the Brandons a little later in life uh, when I was, I don't know, in my probably early teens. And uh, so we kind of got to piling around at the ropings because Greg loved to rope, and I, would, uh, I headed for him. How old are you at this time? Oh, you know, the first time was in uh, Porterville, a little jackpot arena. I was probably, didn't have a driver's license. I was probably 15, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. Jesse James packed me around to the Ropens. Cookie James, he had gone to the NFR a lot. My dad and uncle had helped raise him. He was off the reservation. He took me there, and Greg's there, and he's like, Greg, I got somebody to head for you. Greg was needing a partner. 
He said, this kid here, and I'm on a horse with no tail because the mules had bit it off, but he's a big old <laughs> huge horse. He's about six or seven, and I'm in a snaffle <laughs> with split reins. <laughs> and he's like, hey, cookie. <laughs> I mean, how's that going to go? He says, hey, don't you worry about that kid. Just get her and heal, Greg. <laughs> oh, it's a good, good horse. And then uh, I roped for him, and we did good, and uh, just kind of became friends later on in life. And I started hanging out with him after much later in my 20s when I had a place. I would have a lot of, I took care of a lot of cattle, so I'd have a lot of fresh cattle laying around. He'd come over and work. He's helping me, started helping me train horses a little bit. There was a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know. I'd been raised on a horse since I was, I don't know, one and a half, one years old. I don't remember not being on a horse and cowboying. And then I got around Greg and I'm like, oh my God. I don't know nothing. <laughs> right. I, I mean, there was nothing I didn't think I could do. I could ride anywhere I wanted to go on any kind of horse, but this was a whole new world. Sure. Right here. Being able to pack their head. I remember going over to rope with him at his house, and he's riding a, a I don't know what, a two-year-old, three-year-old, probably a three-year-old. Every time he asked it to stop, it slid. Hey, is that pot? How did, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> Something wrong with your horse, now and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a now and then thing on slick ground. <laughs> so he just kind of, just being around him and really good friends. We just had a lot of fun together. So that's what made me want to start training. Uh-huh. Start training better. I was already doing 30 and 60 day stuff. And right. I'd so, have where you could go open gates and rope and all that in 60, 90 days probably. So really just a uh, kind of an income supplementer. Yeah. to the ranching and then training to be able to do your job on the ranch more efficiently. Yeah. Yep. I had a business card that said welding, horseshoeing, colt starting, day work. Nice. All of that. Perfect. <laughs> All the easy stuff. Right. And I was doing cutting wood on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when did you go to your first horse show? You're talking early 20s, learning about horse training. So, I think my wife took me to my first horse show when we were dating. And it was Sandy Collier one in Selling Arena. This was a snap bit fraternity. Yep. And you went snap to watch it. Yep. Just there t- I didn't know nothing about it, anything about it. I had met my wife and her dad, Richard Frode, had trained with Greg for a long time and was a good trainer. And like I said, I was start cold. So he also helped me towards the training part of it. So she knew about snaffle bit fraternity and all that stuff and it's going on selling. So we went up there on a date to watch it thought man that's that's some pretty neat stuff probably wasn't still wasn't completely hooked on it until i actually went down the fence on a horse and then it was over once i went down the fence so how much longer after that horse show did that happen oh it was not long (laughs) kind of that was the impetus there then yeah yep got the horse show and what'd you go to greg's and yeah uh we had a we just kind of did it at home yeah i had a 20-foot lane that went into a 100-foot round pin, and that's where we trained and went down the fence and circled up forever. Then the edge was just a set of cattle corrals, and the edge of it was the corrals just were out in a field. On the outside was just the side of the corrals in a field, and we would turn cattle loose out there and make them go up and down that fence in the field, and if you lost the cow, it was was gone. Just had to go get another one because there was no corral at all, just one flat wall. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. We should maybe have a horse show like that one yeah. of these days. <laughs> yeah. See, now we see who's got control. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah, let's see that open. That's a real open field turn. 
And when we started, the last probably 60 foot just had a top rail. No, the fence wasn't up yet. <laughs> so the cow could go under. <laughs> and then when that, that ran into a barbed wire fence that was right before the paved road. Perfect. So yeah. you didn't want to go through that. <laughs> Tanner, Tanner went through it once. Uh-oh. It was kind of a mess, but it was fun. It made you be aware of your surroundings. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see it. So you go home and just get to jacking around with these cows, not even in an arena. When do we interrupt first time? Weekend show? Just tee off into the snuff at 30. My first show was at Appaloosa. A guy named Virgil Rogers brought me a bunch. He had an Appaloosa stud and a lot of horses. John Rozier sent me sent me Virgil. It was a uh, Rozier had already trained him, and he was a bridal horse by then. And Rozier was at a point where he couldn't go to the Appy shows no more. They were just little shows, you know. And he was cutting and everything, so he sent me this horse to show. And Virgil said, "Hey, I, I was training." He says, "I want you to go show this horse." So, oh, all right, well, that should be fun. I have no idea what a pattern is. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know the rules for working a cow. So we get there, and it's down in L.A., which we almost get in a disaster just even getting there, almost getting a wreck on the freeway, step out and almost get in a fight in the middle of the freeway, get through all that, a little rattle. Now, now how, the... how rustic are we? Have you been to L.A. before at this time, or is this like first trip to town? Is this, I mean, how, how rustic are we talking about? I, I have been down there cutting wood before. Cutting wood in L.A.? Yeah. Got yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing business down there. That's the business I probably should have took. <laughs> All cash. So, but I hadn't been with a trailer, and I hadn't been down there following a 70-year-old man in an RV with a trailer hooked on. I mean, that guy, there's eight lanes. He's way over there next to last lane on the left and decides he needs an exit and just <laughs> goes all the way across the freeway. And sends cars into me, and uh, I mean, it was it was dicey. <laughs> then the guy that I cut off, not hitting him, pulled in front of me and stopped me in the middle. There's three lanes of traffic on each side of us, going 70 miles an hour. Stops his car, which I have to stop. He gets out and comes to me. <laughs> so I got to get out. <laughs> we, it all wound up fine. Kind of feel eventually. like we need to hear the rest of that story. I, he, it was... It, it, he went to cussing me, and I took it for a while because I could see he was stressed. But, I mean, after a while, enough is enough. <laughs> and I think he could see the change in me because he says, if you hit me, I'm going to sue. I said, well, you better get back in your car <laughs> and get away from me. <laughs> Anyhow, so we get to L.A. to the show. <laughs> Virgil says, okay, Russell, you're in the cow horse. I says, okay, what do we do? Here's the pattern. You have to follow these this pattern. Roadmap. You, you have to follow this roadmap. I says, oh, what happens if I don't? Well, it's a zero. So there I am trying to remember. I, You know, when you don't know stop, spin, circles at all, and you're putting them all in your mind at once, it's a lot. <laughs> so I'm in a, I go hide in a stall, and I walk the pattern probably 20 times to get it right. I'm ready now. I, and head of the arena, I said, well, then what after the pattern, Virgil? He says, well, they're going to turn the cow out. I said, so what are the rules? He said, well, you just make it turn on the fence, 
each way. You got to get at least one turn each way. But if you have a bad turn, it doesn't count. You just got to get one good turn each way. So you just go till you get one good one each way and then make it go circle up. I said, okay, I can do that. I'll just go till I get one good turn. Do the pattern. So get through the pattern, make it. They turn the cow out. And when they blow the time whistle, I still haven't found those two perfect turns. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get to circle You're my first putting time. It on them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, I can do a better one than that. <laughs> one more turn. One more turn. That was awesome. my initiation. That was the first time. Yeah. First yeah. time. So, uh, okay. So just to try and keep the chronological order going, how old are you there? Oh, uh, early 20s. Yeah, probably my early 20s, 23 or so. I can't really remember if I was married yet or not. So we go home from the Appaloosa show. Yeah, go home, and I've got a bunch of colts for Virgil. Mm -hmm. And I'm riding. I got uh, one really good one, a couple pretty good ones. And I got 90 days. He says, okay, (laughs) we're going to another show in Bakersfield. (laughs) I said, I'm I'm ready. All right, you're going to take that colt and the stud again and uh, a couple more he says uh bring them down i'll enter you up and we'll do it all right i get there the one stud has 90 days riding he enters me in the raining the cutting the cow horse the heading the healing and the timed roping i'm like virgil that's what i'm talking 90 days (laughs) personal cowboy (laughs) i don't think i can put my hand down on him in a herd he says it's okay if you pick it up every once in a while they won't mind it's just a point (laughs) so i talk him out of the cutting finally but i'm still in all the other events and i've got an older horse that's pretty good rope horse and i've talked my cousin in to come down roping with me because i gotta have a healer and a header and switch back and forth we did all the events but i have run the 90 day horse down the fence before the healing and when my cousin ropes him, we turn him, which means we got into the rope. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little bit of a wreck. <laughs> when we got out of it and got rope, we didn't win much that week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wild times. That was initiation time. Initiation. So that was welcome to the horse training, horse showing world. Yeah. Nice. It didn't seem bad to me. Right. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So... From there, we go, I mean, what point do we start, you know, doing the NRCHA shows? Uh, you know, I got a, a job putting the cattle in and out at selling. Uh-huh. I think I'd had it two years when before I showed. Um, got to be a paid, paid spectator there for a little while. Yeah, then. yeah, yep. paid nice, spectator nice. putting cattle in and out. And uh, Nuno Menez is the, is the cow guy, and Cecil Hilderman's kind of the overall guy. He's kind of the guy that got me there. Greg's kind of got me the job. So the first year I showed, I had a three-year-old, Doc Chantilly. She was just terrible. Is that the snaffle bit fraternity? Yeah, well, I didn't show at the snaffle bit. I put the cattle in and out the snaffle okay. bit, and my first show was Idaho. I got you. Yep. yep. Got a check-in limited open and thought there'd never be another poor day. <laughs> <laughs> all roses, all belt yeah. buckles, start shirts and belt yeah. buckles from here on out. Going to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Going to be easy. Yep. Ronnie Richards was the judge's monitor at the time, which I didn't know any of the real rules about that. But where they watched the videos is where they kept the food. So I went in there quite often and uh, got ran out during a couple of reviews from Ronnie. <laughs> Said, hey, you can't be in here. Why not? We're just watching movies. <laughs> 
but went from there to show that was Scott Darnell, True Blood's horse, uh-huh. and um, showed through the Idaho and then showed that horse. Me and Darnell showed that horse everywhere in California because they had a a horse show with almost every fair in California at that time. I mean, we went everywhere. That horse did not get a weekend off and did not <laughs> need it either. And he's a derby horse this time? She was. She, no, we were just, just no derby, just Hackmore. Just Hackmore. Yep. All yep. Right. Just Hackmored it and then bridled it and went on. By then we had some more. Had good luck. Had lots of good luck. What was that horse's name? Doc Chantilly. That was that one. Uh-huh. She was She was the pit. She really was tough. <laughs> well, I would go, I'd take her to Greg's one day and say, Greg, I'm having trouble with this or that. And he says, okay, go on that side of the fence. I'm going to work her through the fence and work her a little bit. Well, she's climb, she climbs on the top rail trying to jump over it. And he gets her lined out and off we go to another show. Just, she wasn't great. But then the True Bloods wound up buying probably my first open horse one that could really go compete was Miss Plain Plain from Greg. John and Scott went cutting on her, and then I don't, for some reason we started doing the bridal, wound up going to the second world's greatest on her, and that mare packed me. I mean, she showed me the light on the fence work because Greg had already trained her. She would just swallow a cow. She was fast, stop hard, and would circle like a, a demon, and she was huge in the steer stopping. That's awesome. So, I'd struggle through the cutting and the raining, and then let's go. Right. Yeah, so that was in 2000. Second uh, year of World's Greatest. Yeah, yeah. 2000, yeah. 20 I years ago. I flagged on her the first one. I was the <laughs> flagger, so she was kind of there. All right. That's awesome. So we're showing her we're full-fledged rain cow horse trainer at this point, right? Like making our living. Are we still ranching? Are we making our living just horse training at this no, point? No, we're still ranching. I'm kind of always was ranching to some level at that time joe willoughby was riding with me and tana and we had about 32 head in training cleaning all our own stalls washing all our own horses saddling taking care of 15 or 1700 head of steers a little bit welding here and there still cutting a little wood in la yeah, uh no, <laughs> no no i'm done with the wood by them but still shoeing some Jim. i had to finally give that up um and I don't know if I had, uh, Tan and I had a small batch of cows of our own too. Right. And then the kids, are they born yet? No, we had them way late. We uh-huh. were married probably 10, 11 years before we had the first one. Uh-huh. Didn't have time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So how old are the boys? Right now they're 15 and 16. 15 and yeah. 16. Yep. We had them in Porterville and moved out. We moved to Oklahoma seven years ago and probably the biggest thing that I would have to say my dad and my uncle were the biggest influence on being around a horse. And then Greg Ward was my biggest influence on how to train one uh-huh. after that. And uh, we've talked before about the ranching, how the cow horse came from the ranching, but I spent my whole life on a ranch. My, I was cowboying out of a saddle that said stock horse champion 1931 Siegel, <laughs> which my great uncle had won, and I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know what the stock horse was. I didn't know that the cow horse existed until Tana took me to the fraternity. I had no idea what it ever. That's s- incredible. Yeah, it was a. It was kind of eye opening. Right. Um, and probably my wife has been my biggest 
influence is, as a trainer, staying in there and we just ground it out on stuff. Right. Are there times? So are there times there when you're you're thinking, man, I'm just wasting my time training these horses. I could be making so much more money welding and even just taking care of these cows. I mean, what, do you have that thought going? Th- you know, because I mean, we all know, we know how these times are. You know, in this, that part of your career. Uh, probably, I had already by then. I had already done a lot of things. I had gone to Australia and caught cattle, and I had gone offshore and worked in the oil fields. I'd been a ground. Uh, welder's grinder in bakersfield i'd been a i framed houses for quite a while right out of high school love that too i love swinging that hammer i had done a lot of the wood cutting didn't mind it at one time i was helping a guy put a roof on my uncle's house because it's the time when i was working as a carpenter it's a little bit later in life and my uncle and them were branding down at the other corrals and it just about killed me to have to not go brand and that was kind of probably the first time I recognized it. I love all the, there was nothing I didn't like doing, no work I didn't like doing, but the horses is the one I couldn't do without. Of course, it was the one that pays the least. Lucky. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> lucky that way. <laughs> so um, when I got to doing the training and stuff, I really was riding horses to ride horses. I'm doing 60, 30, 60 day. I, I mean, I thought I was stealing money if I got to keep one 90 days. I thought the last 30 days, I mean, geez, he does everything. What are you guys paying me for? <laughs> right. So not winning the shows and stuff wasn't really uh, my goal. It wasn't, you know, until Greg talked me into showing, I didn't even, it wasn't even an aspiration. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I just liked roping and riding and working cattle. So I, I never really got to where... I would get the phone calls that want me to go to the East Coast and be a pipe fitter and stuff, and it was big money. And they, the guy that had the wood business wanted me and my buddy to buy it from him and go down there, and it had been big money. But I just, I knew it wasn't. The, that I was doing what I wanted to do was ride the horses. And I knew if I went and did that, I was going to make a bunch of money, but horse riding be done. Yeah, You can't do that. You can't go down into L.A. and have buy a wood business and get to ride. Right. So... I really didn't think about stepping away from it. There's times when I was sure struggling where I thought about doing more cattle, which is what I do now. But I'm always, I'm always going to be riding. I'll always be trying to train a better horse. Sure. I just got to make enough money where I can afford to do it more times of the day. Right. Longer. <laughs> sure. So we have Miss Plain Plain. We're struggling through. We've got Miss Plain Plain. And now we should be about time that... Uh, Another little horse comes along that was pretty special to you, I think. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Slider? So Slider is a three-in-one package bought by Dana Roulet, who I had ridden quite a few horses for. And Dana Roulet was able to find good horses from nowhere. I, I mean, it was incredible what she would bring and what nice horses they were. Uh, maybe then all go on show, but she had a really good eye. Right, and so a three-in-one package would be a, the broodmare, fold its side, and one in her. One right? in the belly yep. for... I want to say $2,500. She bought the whole package. <laughs> and which one was he? 36 at the most. He was the one by her side. Yep. Yeah, I think it was. So she brings him. She's already ridden him, I don't know, 15, 30 times. So he's maybe. a two-year-old. You're actually getting he's started a two-year-old this yeah. time. Yep. They already called him Slider because he slid when he stopped so far. So he's a little old pony-looking thing. He's kind of cute. Tons of hair, but he's not very big. 
which I have always kind of liked a small horse. Anyhow, it didn't bother me. And he's got tons of personality. And we just go to riding, and I'm like, Dana, this is a neat little horse. I mean, this horse is neat. I just fit him. I just loved him as a person from the beginning. And the stopping thing was incredible. So we go along all the way to the prefaturity, which is at that, the year I showed him was in um, Fresno State Equine Unit. Kathy Gould was running the Valley Cow Horse, and she, we had taken on, the Valley Cow Horse had taken on the prefaturity because it left Bend. So we're on the board. There's no arena. So we tear our arena down at our house, put it on a flatbed truck, take it up there, work the ground, and set it up for the prefaturity <laughs> out back. And at that time, and this Hannah's, is in 02, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 02, yep. Tana's pregnant. Maybe she wasn't pregnant that year. Maybe the next year. Anyhow, we put all the stalls up in a pasture and have the prefaturity. And at that time, I had horse showed a lot and hadn't really ever done anything. Miss Plain Plain had been doing very well, but I hadn't done anything in a in a fraternity setting. Cattle were big Bramer crossbreds, and they could fly. It's so dusty you couldn't hardly see an arena. And that horse went and had a fence run that was just incredible. Won me an open check and a, and a limited open. Can't remember if we had the intermediate. I might, no, made we about. Didn't, we didn't have I don't yet. think we did. Mm-hmm. Made about five, six thousand dollars. Like it was the first time I thought, hey, I can compete. I mean, I got a chance. Right. Then we go the pre, uh, go the fraternity and make the limited finals and wind up second there and he i didn't know that's what stopping felt like till i had that horse he taught me everything about stop everyone had tried to tell me but i hadn't felt it until i felt him right and what so what what is it about that horse stopping that what'd you learn what it teach you just to just to let them run and and let them stop instead of making them stop because i had grown up on horses that bucking wasn't an 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 odd thing not bucking was an odd thing you never when i came to the horse show and i saw people standing straight behind a horse combing their tail it freaked me out <laughs> <laughs> i mean i do i we never ever stood be uh, everything kicked everything would paw i mean there was i had a whole set of horses from up north that pawed their head stalls off <laughs> I, 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 while you're on them and it's that the whole world was was always protecting yourself where i came from which is it made made it to where i thought that was life well i was always doing everything and with that horse was the first horse that taught me hey you don't have to do it you don't have to pull to stop just ride let me be straight and say whoa i know what it means that's what he told me and he was the same way on a cow I didn't have to do it, which Miss Plain Plain had already mostly taught me the cow because coming from Greg, Greg said, hey, you got one job. Get that horse past the head to where the cow stops. Uh That's all your job is. You don't need to stop her. You don't need to pull her through the turn. You don't need any of that. Keep her straight. Ride by the cow till it stops. That's all you got to do. Everything else will be taken care of. Just go to the the cash machine and get your money. Yep. Yep. And that's what Slider taught me in the raining, which... No amount of words can replace feel. Sure. No. When they give you the feel, they're like, oh, that's what I'm looking for. Right. People can tell you that forever, but once you feel it, like, oh, 
That's well, fun. Well, I haven't been working this hard. Why? I've been working so hard. This what, doesn't work. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So we go on with him and have a tremendous career. Win the world's greatest three times. Yep. So Dana Relay was wanting to sell that horse. Man, by now I'm in love with this horse. Man, I just love him. So I tell John Ward, we're big buddies then. I'm like, John, she wants to sell this horse. And I, I mean, I don't want to lose him. He's like, hey, you can't lose your horse. He knew that was the horse. He says, uh, and John's always trading. <laughs> so he's like, hey, well, all right, what's she want? She wanted a broodmare. So we start trading. It takes two months. Dana Roulet <laughs> can trade now. <laughs> she can trade. So she gets a brood, and John will trade too. I mean, that you need a piece of paper to write this whole trade down. <laughs> when she's got a broodmare and breedings to Mr. Dual Pep and just on, I mean, just go, and then another horse and blah, blah, blah. And when it's all done, John owns half the horse and I own half the slider. We go along a little bit. We both own him for a minute. He doesn't really want half of another horse. He's got 60 broodmares. So he's like, hey, just find somebody to buy my half out and you can have him or whatever. So uh, Tiana's family friend and by then my friend, Kevin Cantrell, was kind of looking looking around for a horse. And I call him, say, hey, buy the other half of this horse. We'll split him. He bought John out. And then me and Kevin went on from then. Took him to the world's greatest Kevin had also bought Miss Plain Plain. By then, he was doing really well in the cattle business. And uh, I showed her one more year for him. But we had Slider going in the derbies. And then I showed uh, Slider for him at the at the World's Greatest. And he actually won the prelims. And I did the wrong pattern in the finals. I'm telling you. That was oh, the worst. That's rough. That's that was rough. probably the worst feeling I've ever had in the show pin because I'm in a big fast and the first one's supposed to be a small slow. And when I realize it, there ain't nothing, you there can ain't do no way. It. Yeah. You can't ride out of it. Yeah. Oh, Sick. that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I drove straight home. <laughs> <laughs> no stopping, no sleeping, <laughs> nothing. Oh, so this is what year? What year was that? Oh man, Chris, how many times you showing there before you won it the first time? I don't remember. It was one in 08, yeah. 09, and 11. And 11, yeah. He was a 99 model, so that's probably six or so. Yeah. Probably about then. I think I showed Miss Plain Plain about seven times. Uh-huh. And, you know, to that mare's credit, she only did make the finals once for me. That that mare was a, that was a heck of a mare. Yeah. And she kind of set me up for the fence work on him, and then he just, uh, that horse... He gave me the reining, which is why I'd never had. It's the first time I looked forward to going in the pen and showing in the reining. Sure. Prior to that, I'm like, oh, let's get through this stupid reining. <laughs> right. And him, I'm like, hey, guys, watch out. I'm going to come get a little gain on you. Right. I was still weak in the herd. The horse wasn't. I was. Because uh, I would put cutters on him, and they would just be like... This horse, this horse could go cut in the open. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been ruining so, that. Sometimes that makes you feel, I don't, I, I'm always, a, I've run into that situation myself, and I'm not sure whether to be complimented insulted. or insulted. <laughs> I can't. Well, I'm having troubles marking a 16 on the side yeah. of <laughs> So Yeah. So anyhow, then he won. I just couldn't even believe it. That was the biggest that first one was the biggest open win, probably. 
Really, I'm going to take that back. It, that one was euphoric. But the second one's a time when you're like, oh, my God. I mean, I, I really can do it. Right. It's not just a one-off, just a freak deal. Right. So then it just kept showing him. And probably that horse was so easy to train that I probably wrecked a lot of horses after him, trying to train them like I trained him, not putting enough basics in. Just thinking, hey, it's all going to work. Just get them sure. soft, ride around. Then they let were, it rip. They didn't have that natural stop. Right. So they make this horse. They made him a briar horse, right? Yeah. Dana Jones is, was a non pro customer of mine. Yeah. Relentless. She was relentless. She says, hey, he needs to be a briar horse. I said, really? She says, yeah, give me, fill this out and that out. And she just hounded him and made him notice him. Uh, she's the reason he became a briar horse. And then uh, I moved back here and they called me and say, Hey, your horse is a briar horse. Why don't you come to the briar festival? I'm like, Oh, all right. I'll go back there. I take my boy who's about seven, eight, maybe we go to this thing. It is the, it's unbelievable how many kids are there. I mean, it's nothing. I thought was just going to be a little couple hundred people. They're renting motels. <laughs> There's, there's the motels are awful and they're setting up briar horse showing selling sales in motel rooms you just find flyers so we get there i'm like well, what are we gonna do and she said well you're gonna come out here and sign autographs i says oh all right couple do a few autographs no big deal she said um you're gonna have to have a horse handler I'm like well i got i don't got nobody and this park is full of kids and people that know nothing. I mean, they know nothing they about They know about horses. their briar horses. And I have a stud horse and an eight-year-old. And they <laughs> said, so you guys will be sitting over here, you and Tim McQuay, and because we both had horses, and you're going to sign autographs, and then they'll go take a picture with your horse. I'm like, oh, my God. This is, does not feel like a good idea. I said, well, all I have is Colt, and he's just going to have to handle the horse. So... They sit us down there, and they've got the briar deal, and they open the gate. And I'm telling you, there's a herd of hundreds of kids running at us. <laughs> and I just think, this is going to go so wrong. I just This isn't going to work. Sure. The line lines up for I don't know how long. The, you, I can't see the end of the kids that we're signing for, and that's all I can do. And Colt's just on his own with a stud horse and about four or 500 kids riding around him, taking pictures, and he's setting it all up, and there's other horses, and that horse just went right on through it. I'm That's surprised you didn't was. break and run, much less I, that horse. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, it was fun, but that horse gave all that. Right. What a neat experience. What mm -hmm. a neat experience. That's super, super cool. Yeah, so that gets us through chronologicalness, right? And yeah. I mean, well, what happens after that? All right, so after... We have Slider. We've got all the, and this is Top Sail Rainmaker, by the way. I don't know if we've ever mentioned yeah, his name other maybe than Slider. <laughs> but uh, so you go home and you're continuing this horse training, continuing yeah. horse training here after Slider, and you're, you know, you're still showing him. You showed him pretty well right towards the end, didn't we? Yeah, right to the end, he got the um, kidney mm -hmm. failure and and uh, had to put him down. But probably up to the year before that, uh, he showed. He just stayed. He was just rock solid, stayed sound. You know, he showed. Everywhere we should, there wasn't a show too small to go to for us right. at that time, and that's how he got to be the highest earning horse for a while. It's uh, now Lena Oak from Ron Emmons who did the same thing, just right. showed and showed and showed. Um, and me, I was chasing Bobby Avila. You know, that's who. Uh, sure, 
Chick's Magic Potion. I was chasing him and trying to pass him, and then he finally had to retire, and then we were able to go buy him. But that horse let me go compete with Bob Avila, which it, early on, there was no way. Right. No way. And then you get to that horse takes you and lets you be a threat at that level. Sure. Yeah. Well, in our generation, I mean, he was, it was, I mean, it. him and Teddy, right? Yes. I mean, it yep. was him and Teddy, and that was, they were, they were it, right? To For be, us, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was the guys that were before, but yeah, those were the two guys. Dominant when we were there. Sure. Yep. Very dominant. And he was dominant in two level uh, in two fields. He was dominant in the reigning and the cow horse. Mm-hmm. He was everywhere. So, um, so I just uh, train and then I start doing the stallion thing and breed every mare that I don't want to ride and then try <laughs> to take that baby and go win on it. And right. He actually, his first colt that I had made the finals at all three majors, the pre-fraternity, fraternity, and the post-fraternity. But I just, my training slipped. And so I didn't make his babies be what they should have been. Um, I think I would, I'd had too much going on sure. the board tons of horses and it's it trap. was it's the trap it was right? a trap yeah and not and there was no not riding i mean i was going at it hard but i wasn't thinking enough i think oh it was just i'm a little bit hard-headed and when it gets tough i'll go a little harder right <laughs> and uh probably if i could slow down or and then greg died on me so i just a lot of things happen and that's why i think he didn't make the stallion he could have. A lot of people are, will say, oh, it's the mares, it's the mares. And, hey, you got to have great mares. Sure. But if you don't have somebody training them, them babies, it, it's, it just won't work. And I, he got to breed some good – there were some really good babies out of him, and there were some that were not good. <laughs> but they'll forget about all the not good ones if you do a good job on the good ones. Sure. And I wasn't. So we had the big numbers – lot of backyard horses that didn't go into training and so he didn't really make it as a stud whereas i think he could have if i would have been smarter it just he came too early in life right i didn't manage it as well as i should have so uh still the training's going good still making money in california there my dad gets some cancer Uh, we've been threatening to move to oklahoma for a long time tan and i Uh, they had moved 20 years earlier so we just left, got a place, didn't even get our sold because it looked like he was going to die. Got out there and he didn't. And we stayed anyways. It's awesome. And he's <laughs> still doing here good now, right? Yep, still doing yep. good. Real good. That's incredible. Yeah. But it was a good change because I think it got us out of that grind we were in and let us kind of open our eyes and see what was going on with the, um, all the things that you talk about being a trainer the free rides, the partnerships, the horses that aren't paying you. We had all that going on. We were <laughs> we were not making money. Right. We were having a hard time. And when we got out here, it let us just restart. I started not having people come over and ride unless they paid something right. because I'm making the ranch payment. <laughs> I mean, if it's not worth $25 to ride here, ride at your house. Yep. <laughs> That's it's that simple. It really let us make the training a better deal. Sure. But we also got in the cattle business, and that's a volatile business. I think it'll work out in the long run, but it took us away from the training for a little while. The training is more on the side now. So your dad getting sick, moving back here, sounds like kind of give us a new perspective on things a little bit. 
I shifted the goals, try to get back to what matters a little more, huh? Yeah, and it let us get back to just enjoying what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, it also helped us a ton with our, our boys. Uh, we got the one boy with autism. Tana had already started homeschooling them out there about a year before we left probably, and we continued with it here, and it just it let us have so much more time with both of them, and especially him because at school he was just kind of – do whatever he wanted he had autism so that's lame slide on everything so he wasn't having to sure <laughs> he wasn't really having to do anything <laughs> and we just kind of not behaving well it's <laughs> right. a little wild anyways <laughs> mostly because of his mother right so with the autism you guys are real involved with the surf and turf Yep, Danielle and Izzy Paskowitz, yep, yep. they have an uh, autistic boy mm-hmm. that they discovered, uh, I think when he was about five or six, and they didn't have any money. Danielle did everything she could to help that boy, and at one point there was a guy that said, if you come swim with the dolphins, it'll help them. I'm going to short story it. So she scraped up, it was a lot of money, like maybe 10000 or some crazy number. She scrapes it up, takes him there, it didn't help nothing. Uh, I mean, it's it's not some magic. Dolphins can't cure autism. <laughs> Weird. So she decided that someday, if she ever could, she would help people like her for no money. So they and Israel is a world class surfer, world champion, and they have a surf camp. That's what his dad kind of started. So they let autistic kids come in a say they go to San Diego. Any autistic kids in that area can come and surf for free that day. He gets pro surfers to put them on the board, take them out, and it really gives those parents a view of their kid being happy because most autistic kids are very distant. Uh, they stim a lot, and they shake their hands a lot, and it's, it's a tough life, especially for a single parent. So we had gone and helped with that stuff. We didn't know ours. We, had, we didn't know Ace had it yet. Oh, really? Yeah, but so being around them when we did find out we had it, they helped us immensely. Just see that you're not the only one with it and to see all the different ways of dealing with it. And so we kind of, as we went through life and got our head around what was going on and started doing the homeschool, we just kind of fell back to our uh, ranching, horse training lifestyle and how to deal with it. We just got to find what he can be and get him to that point, not just say, hey, you've got autism, you can't do nothing. So... And we're very, very lucky because Ace is not severe. Like Daniel and Izzy's son is very severe. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, one of the greatest influences at the horse show was Craig and uh, Susan Boyd. They have a daughter that sure. has autism, and she's a lot more severe than Ace is. And they, uh, they just loaded her up and took him with them. I'm like, wow, that's what you can do. I mean, that just got to go. Heck with people if they don't like it. So the Daniel and Izzy really helped us a ton in talking about it and just showing us everything. And then watching Craig and Susie deal with it helped us. You know, that's our horse show world helping us with it too. And when we moved back here, we just kept going with that. It's amazing the support we can get Yeah, through this family that we chose, right? Yeah. As a whole, what drew me to the cow horse is how much it was – the, the lifestyle of ranching, the people were way more like ranching family in the cow horse than the other disciplines to me. It was still everybody 
rooting for each other. Everybody, you know, if you go down out there, somebody's going to come and help you out, yeah. <laughs> get you out of the horse, out of the wreck, and just um, rooting for each other. I really like the the lifestyle that this event leads. Sure. Yep. The culture within the cow horse fits how I was raised the most. That's why I really love getting back to the ranching roots again because I think the culture is what separates the cow horse from everything else the style that we live and the respect we have for one another. I mean, you're still got people that don't get along, but the rules more so of say not stealing clients and the stuff as trainers sure. that we, how we interact is better in the cow horse. Right. I feel no, for sure. Yeah. Anywhere. I mean, like I say, we've all been on both sides of that deal, you <laughs> know And I mean? And it's shoot. We've passed, we've passed one around there a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, one of those deals where I was like, I don't think this is an open you horse mad for me. At me. <laughs> but I, said, I think maybe Russell can, he spends a little time with it, be all right. And you did, you won good money on her. Shoot, yep. fire. Now Ben Baldus has got her. Shoot, we've just passed her around. Yep. It's been nice. Yep, I might get her back too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Like, what am I missing? What are we missing here? I guess, you know, I could say when the world's greatest started, how much it's changed. Look sure, at what's sure. happening now. You know, the first year up there at Guthrie, Scott Clark came up with this name that most of us trainers thought was somewhat audacious. <laughs> really, the world's greatest horseman. What about all the English people? What right. about the the bullfighters? That what about all that? Hey, but so, the name was awesome. Awesome. Hey, so okay. So when I'm a kid, I see this deal advertised. World's greatest horseman. Gonna be at the lazy arena. They're saying, come on, if you can rain, come on. If you can cut, come on. If you go down the fence, come on. If you can rope, we got some for you too. Y'all, everybody get together. World's greatest horseman. I think they, I started advertising this in like 98. I'm 17, 16, 17 years old. Holy crap. This is going to be awesome. It's like a year buildup. Like, yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. So I end up going to watch the first one there in 99. And it lived up to everything that I'd seen. I went there for the finals, watched Teddy Robinson win it on Katie Starlight. Feel like I'm at home, right? Welcome to Cow Horse. This is where I belong. And now talk to us a little about the difference and what kind of that evolution, because that was obviously a little before me. That was my first interaction with it. I didn't know anything about the name. Like talk about how, what you guys thought about going to compete at something that nobody's ever heard of before. It's called the World's Greatest Horseman. You guys roll in there and you've showed it, most of them over the last 20 years. Mm. So talk a little bit about the evolution of that and, you know, how it started. Well, at the in the beginning, it was just an idea, so nobody really knows how it's going to go. And you don't think that adding one event is going to make that much difference. But the thing about the world's greatest with four events, there's so many ways to lose. So the the fun of watching it is the drama the death in it, the, the sudden death of the leaders falling out and someone else having a chance. And it's been like that since the very beginning. What it's evolved into now is there's more people wanting to do it. And for a while there, it felt like it's a war of, you know, seven, eight horses that, um, and then a few filler ends are just trying to get up in there. You would just take one, and 25 is about the most it's going to be. Maybe we get to 30 now and then, and we got to 40 once at Stevensville went first, went there, and there was a lot of hype. 
But then it just fell back in the 20s again. You think, well, there's only so many horses can do it. There's only so many guys that can do it. It's one rider. You don't get to mount on all these different horses under one guy and give him all these shots. And it's just going to be a 20-horse deal. Wrong. Here we are. 50 head of, 51 head of horses last year. And more importantly, 20 head of youth kids in it. Those are all future riders. It's starting to be where people understand that that event, they can make the horses for it, and there are the people that can do it. And now the horses are getting more and more solid. And I think partially from the two-rain spectacular and also the ad of early when I started, there wasn't derbies. We didn't have derbies. You go to the fraternity, then you hack more two-rain bridle. That's all there was. And there's no money in a bridle anyways until... Probably the biggest bridal thing was the world's richest went paid a hundred thousand for the first time. At that time, what was so staggering about that event is no other bridals paid that good. There it was just weekend shows. And now we have the derbies where they keep winning. Then the two rain. Now we have all the spectaculars in the bridal. These horses are making a ton of money in the bridal. Mm-hmm. And so we're making more bridal horses. And now we have such an influx coming from rodeo. A lot of ropers like Jake Telford and Luke Jones and and Zane Davis and Kelby, Corey. There's a ton of people coming that can do the roping handily. It used to be not that many guys in the world's grace could do the roping handily. So it took a lot out. Now it's not taking that many out. And we have 50 head of horses. There's a, I feel very good that it could just keep growing to who knows what number. Sure. Because it's the most prestigious event that the most people can watch. Ropers are interested. Cutters are interested. Rainers are interested. And, of course, we are. So you can build a bigger crowd with less horses. Right. And it's by far the most media-friendly event of all of them. It just the title, that audacious title that we thought was too much. Right is what has made that event. If I could win one more thing, if I could pick between the greatest and the fraternity, I would pick the greatest. Sure. Just because to me it's everything. They did a little demo at the first one or whatever, where the finalist, you know, you write something. And they said, well, what about the world's greatest is different? I said, well, it's the rope because it embodies everything you want. In a, in a horse from where we came from, the ranch world. And if you have a rope, you're a cowboy. If you don't have a rope, you're just a boy on a horse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the rope is what <laughs> makes you dominant in the world of nature. And so I, I think people are drawn to that. So as a marquee event, I think it's the best that you can go watch. Sure. Because with the one rider, it's a chance for someone like me to get a big check because you don't have to beat Todd Crawford, Todd Bergen, Bobby Avila. And nowadays it's Corey Cushing, Clayton Edsel, Justin Wright, Chris Dawson, Sarah Dawson, all these. You don't have to beat them five times. Sure. It's one. Yeah. You make one mistake, you're out. Yeah. So that gives all the young guys a real shot. Plus they have four chances to make a mistake. And I think that's where – those entries are growing too, because I think I think the younger guys are learning that that it's uh, it's, it's a, a very it's a very intimidating it's a very intimidating event it's a very intimidating title it took me a long time to get brave enough to enter up 
and it takes a long time to get a horse trained enough to be a real bridle horse between the horse staying sound the horse being good enough the customer staying with you i mean it's a rarity to have a horse that you've trained from the ground up make it to the world's greatest horseman i've done two and i didn't start the first one Mm -hmm. i mean i had him through his show career but uh, like i say it's a it's super rare to get one all the way there i think i've only showed four different ones maybe there myself and I've been trying. That's the one event that I, I mean, that's I mean, like I say, if it's my bucket list event, right? I mean, yeah. it's, that's what I, it's my benchmark for every time I start a cult. I want this horse to go to the world's greatest horseman. That's what I think of all through its two and three-year-old year. And so talk a little about the differences that you've seen it do from, because uh, we started in Lazy and then we went through for a while. It was with the ranch rodeo finals, correct? I never yep. got to go to any of those. So talk a little bit about going into those. They said the crowds were insane at, when it was with the ranch rodeo. It was insane at the ranch rodeo. That was a great idea. But So what, when you start at the Lazy E, you've only got about 15, 20 horses, and you're trying to draw a crowd to nowhere out there to watch your event. That's tough to do. It was still... Because it was a standalone, right? There was, was nothing else. It was just World's Edge Horsemen and Lazy and Guthrie, Oklahoma. Right. Yep. And so the people that should be interested were kids like me, raised on the ranch, who's riding a stock horse saddle and doesn't know the event exists. So the people you're trying to get, the people, your target audience doesn't really know you exist. And you're having it out in the middle of nowhere trying to pull them. So then what happened is they took it it went on and it was prestigious among us, among the sure. cow horse guys. It was neat if you to want us. It, I found it. I mean, you want it bad enough. I mean, like I say, I, I, I found it. Yeah, so, you but, find yeah. it. But the numbers, sure. couldn't get the numbers. Then they went to, to Amarillo and the crowd's already there. So now, and they're ranching, it's a crowd that would appreciate it. So now you're putting on this event where there's already a crowd and it's a phenomenal event, and you're exposing it to people, you're forcing it on them. It, it was beautiful. It was it was what it should have been. The stands are full. They're screaming so loud you can barely hear. The ground's terrible. <laughs> but, but no one cares because you're all on the same field. I mean, literally, it was clay with about an eighth inch of cover on it. You're just sliding across the pin in the cutting in the raining, but who cares? Right. Every, you're supposed to be able to work anything on yep, get any on. ground. Everybody's on the same ground, so that was a big boost for it. Then it uh, when it moved in with the world show, that was what saved it because you had everyone there already. Went to Stevensville, tough, cold, but there's something of a crowd. Then it moves to San Angelo. It's got heated indoor arena, and that made it way more acceptable. But until it moved to Fort Worth, so even San Angelo is a pretty good-sized city, but what makes a great event is when you put it in a huge city. You've already got millions of people right there, and the great thing about Fort Worth is you've got millions of people right there that are accustomed to paying a ticket to watch a Western event. Yeah. That's not true everywhere. Right. You know, so when we went there and um, that's the brainchild of Dan Rozier and the backbone of Larry Bell is that world show. Um, once again, it was protested on the East Coast a little bit, but 
finally everybody got in on it and could see that the idea of a world show is that you've got to be able to access it from the East Coast and the West Coast and the center of the world. And that brought more people to it as far as entries, which creates more spectators. And now it's, you know, it's grown so much in Fort Worth just by publicity around there that it's standing room only in there. And the crowd now on Friday night, which is the prelims. Thursday the, night. The, Thursday I'm night. sorry. Thursday yep, night. Thursday. The prelims is it's like showing. It's more than what used to be showing in the finals. Sure. And you're just doing the roping and the fence work, and they're screaming. It's packed. I mean, it's just a blast just to get to that part. Right. And yeah, that's the funnest, get, funnest place I show all year. Yeah. I and mean, it's just a blast to be entered in that event. Mm-hmm. And like I say, if you're not entered, you're missing out. And it's sudden death. Yep. You ne- it's never over nope. in that event. You just soon not be leading. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think your odds are better. Yeah, your odds are better if you're not leading. Yep. So showing there three times. What about the pressure of going back in there after you've won it once? Is the pressure off after you've won it one time and you're just going and showing and having fun? You know you belong? Or are you thinking, man, I'm entered. I know I got enough horse to win this. If I don't win it, it's on me. I mean, what what's the mindset right there? No, it was. And how do you deal with it? I, I'm kind of not. I'm better if if they think I can't do it. And I kind of felt like it was just as much pressure or more because I had already won it once and you didn't want to mess it up. Um, I couldn't even watch the finals after I showed. I just went out in the deal and hung out with Gatron's uh, braiding shop. I just hung, I mean, it's just me and her out there visiting and I buy a pair of range from her. <laughs> That's I, I couldn't even watch because I did not dare want to wish anyone bad luck in there. Sure. And um, I just had to wait for him. Then I, if the, when they announced it, I realized I don't have my horse and I'm nowhere near him. I've got to do a dead run to go get him and get back in there. But it was no less, it was no less pressure. It was, um, Maybe even a little more because you know you can do it and you don't want to let that horse down. Right. It when you like them horses that much, you don't want to like the the year in the middle. I miss in the roping to be. I don't know that I could have been first, but I sure could have been second with that loop. That was that really. That's what I hated is messing up. I don't mind going doing a good job and letting them pick the winner. That doesn't. That's kind of how I've looked at the whole thing. I'm going to do the best I can do. And if we, if you win, they'll tell you. Just don't go do dumb things. Right. Um, like miss. Like I did on <laughs> Jake's <do> horse. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. one hurt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, we've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. We've all been there. I mean, like I said, I don't know if everybody's been off pattern in the world's greatest horseman, but you have and I oh. have. And like you say, usually to be a good score, it seems like you never go off pattern when you're going to be a 207. Right. (laughs) Right. No one just, no one notices. I remember I'm sitting there one time watching and uh, Matt Budge and uh, Casey Deary are in it. And Matt Budge, first horse out, cuts, turns around, walks back in the herd and cuts the same cow. First horse out. And I'm sitting with a bunch of his cutting buddies. And they're laughing at him. And I said, hey, you guys, I'm telling you, this event makes the cutters lose cows, makes the rainers go off pattern, and makes the ropers miss. I don't know what is it, but that's the deal. I mean, Casey Deary goes off pattern (laughs) and blames me for having said that. (laughs) 
would be like Casey to blame somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it. That's an incredible phenomenon. I mean, the years I've missed a couple times there, you know, and you get to thinking, well, I've shown there two, three times I've not missed. Mm-hmm, poke your chest out. <laughs> get ready, get ready, because it's coming. Oh, I went forever. I go miss. And one year I missed two loops on my wife's horse. Catch ride for Jake and not just basket weave the horns. I was about to cramp up my shoulders trying to get that thing off. When I turned that steer around, I had two seconds left on the clock. <laughs> and not a muscle left. <laughs> that it's just that event does it to you. The first I wrote my whole life. The first year I went there, I don't know how I turned the rope loose. You don't even have to be fast. Just don't miss. Just don't miss. That's it. I had it's, never been nervous. Yeah. It's the most nerve wracking steer you'll ever call for, I reckon. Ever. Like. Just don't you know, miss. I've obviously never been like national finals or anything like that, <laughs> but it's, uh, I can't imagine it being any worse because at least there's 10 of them. Right. <laughs> this is one, one, and you have to catch it. And that's all yep. you have to do is catch it. Yep. Yeah. That's all. So. Yeah, the most prepared, the years I've gone there and felt the most prepared are the years I've missed. <laughs> I try to not practice a lot of roping before I go. I'm just like, mm, no, nope, don't worry about it. You just worry about going and get it and captured. Yeah. What about getting used to the billing process and trying to figure out what you're worth and how to bill? I mean, we all cut deals and this and that, and you try not to, but just talk about that a little bit. And, you know, who were some of the guys that kind of coached you along there and what'd they tell you? You know, um, early on, and, and I've always done this with all the way till now, my, tr- my clients were just my friends that were paying me to do that stuff. So the billing was tough for me. I was, I had a break even mentality. Um, and early on, maybe Greg Ward's not the greatest mentor because he believed in making his way by winning. He didn't really, when I was around, he didn't. I don't think even build for hauling at all. Um, you just got a, you got a piece of the check. And he was also made, a, his biggest money was on how many horses he sold. So, you know, he's got 60 head of broodmares. I mean, who does that? Starts them all himself. I mean, they do it all. So that was kind of my mentality starting out. I didn't build that much. I partnered up, shared rooms and stuff. I had a really loyal client that, I had not won Ford lately and he got frustrated and left and it just broke my heart. So I'm whining about it to Benny Gatron a little and saying, yeah, he left me and God, you know, I did this for him and that for him. I didn't bill and I didn't. He says, Hey, Russell, you listen to me. Now you have to bill what you're worth. If you'll bill what it's worth to do what you're doing, when those clients leave, it won't hurt your feelings. You don't feel like they owe you. You just keep it straight and above board. And then if they go, they go. And you don't have to be mad. You can see them at the next show. No, there's no hard feelings. You got to you got to make it make sense. When that truck wears out, you're gonna have to buy another one and nobody's gonna be there. You're you're gonna be all on your own. And that was probably the most and that was late, pretty late in my career. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was late. I still wasn't. I still wasn't billing for hauling at that time, and it was, oh, I don't know. It was probably only 10 years ago or oh, seven years ago. Oh, it was probably 10, 10, 12 years ago. I've been doing this a while, longer than I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was just a real eye-opener. Just bill what you're worth. 
And you know, don't you don't need to be gouging people, but no. don't be giving everything away all the time because then you feel like they owe you, and they don't know. They're used to this cost, the hauling costing this much, and they think that well, you're cutting them a deal, but they think it's the norm. Sure, and they get used to it, and then that's when the hard feelings come. That was a just a big moment that stood out. It was like a five minute deal, and it still just burned into my mind. All right. <laughs> No, that's a great piece of advice. I think all young trainers need to listen to that because, like you say, you guy gets into being scared they're going to leave. Yep, yep. Well, I mean. And and you can't just act like you're Todd Bergen or you're Corey Cushing and you can, you know. you hey, got, this is what it costs and you yeah. want in a trailer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But you've I got, got two other ones that will get in there. Yeah. Yeah. you got to take care of yourself. You've got to be able to take care of yourself. If you're going broke doing it, then you don't need that guy. Right. You might as well ride a 60-day horse that pays you, and you can pay your electric bill and pay your <laughs> right. uh, feed your family. Right. You got time to go cut wood in L.A. and make yeah. a little money. <laughs> Do a little welding. Right. <laughs> bueno. Thank you for listening to Cow Horse. Full contact. Please like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.